This is week eight of our series, Follow the Yellow Brick Road, where we have actually been taking our time and diving into the wisdom that's found in the book of Proverbs. But before we get there today, there are a couple of things I want to kind of highlight, a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. One of those is kind of a takeaway from last weekend. Again, we talked in uh, Proverbs about what Proverbs has to say about relationships, and we talked about the importance of community and getting you plugged in uh, here at Crossroads, doing life with other people. We call those community groups, and one of the things that we would strongly encourage you to do, because what we're going to try to do is to get as many people as we can plugged into a community group where they are doing life with other people who are in the same stage and season of life. And again, I could talk a lot about that, but I would strongly encourage you Go to our website, CrossroadsLebanon.com. You'll see our strategy there as it relates to groups because we are very specific about it. But again, we want to get you plugged in. And the only way we can do that is if you'll take a moment and stop by that table that's in the lobby. It's just outside the door here to my right or to your left, the back of the auditorium. There's a table there, sign-up sheets. Nobody's going to question you. Nobody's going to just give us your information. That's your name. Uh, if you're married, it's a couple's name. Uh, your email address and your telephone number and somebody in the next couple of weeks will get with you because we're going to do this one more week uh, and then we're going to start putting those groups together. So again, as you leave today, if you haven't done that, then you can sign up as you leave. Let me also say this, uh, as you leave, not as you leave today, but uh, as you are thinking about uh, budgeting your time on a weekly basis, we, we've always done something here at Crossroads, which is kind of different than what other churches have done. Since the very beginning, we've always done our own cleaning. Uh, we clean our building ourselves, and we do that with our staff and our volunteers. And again, we have people come and we have people go as it relates to volunteering on that team. But right now, we could use a couple of people who could possibly help us on Thursdays. It's every Thursday morning. I usually get here really early. Amy usually gets here a little later. Uh, but again, we will put you in and plug you into doing something here on a regular basis, something that you will be very familiar with. And over time, you'll be able to come in. You'll do it. You don't have any supervision. But again, we'll provide you all the necessary things that you will need to get the job done. It's probably a 45-minute commitment to an hour and 15 minutes, uh, depending on what's going on and how many events we had during the week uh, prior to the time that we're cleaning. So again, if you could help us, you could let me know that after the service. You could let Amy, Amy's our children's director, or you can just write on that card that you should have picked up when you came in that, you know, where you write down your prayer request and your personal information and let us know that, hey, I'd be willing to help. I can help every week or I can help every other week. We're very flexible, but let me tell you, I get a call every week or an email every week from a cleaning service wanting to give me a bid. And I just know this, nobody cleans a building better than the people who inhabit the building. So again, uh, we know that we do a better job. I know that I do a better job. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and be very candid. I know we have some visitors here. You may not come back after this, but the pastor here cleans the restrooms. So when you sit down, it's going to be clean, okay? When you stand up, it's going to be clean. And you can guarantee that because I have been in church restrooms before that smelled because they weren't cleaned well, and I'm not going to have that. So again, uh, if you want to be a part of our team, join us on Thursdays, but let us know that ahead of time, and we will get you plugged in to that team. Let me also say this. On the 27th of March at 930, that's in between the 830 service and the 10 o'clock service, we're going to have uh, something, it's an environment that we created several years ago called For Heaven's Sake. Uh, and it's really our attempt to help you as a parent or as a grandparent 
to lead your child or your grandchild to Christ because many times they're asking questions and honestly let me let me just tell you so you understand this sometimes I don't even know the best way to answer it when you're talking to children so Lori Dove leads this and it'll take about 20 or 30 minutes but she'll walk you through some very very specific things that will help you as it relates to talking with your child about Jesus about death about heaven and about the things that they're gonna ask you about and really equip you so that you can lead your own child, not me, not, not, this, not, not, not your Wombaland teacher or your Upstreet teacher, but you as a parent can lead your child to Christ yourself or as a grandparent. So again, that's going to happen on, happen on March 27th. It will happen at 930. It will happen in the extreme room, which is just down this hall to my right, to your left, all the way at the end on the left. It's right across from the children's check-in desk. So again, I would strongly encourage you, if you have a child who is asking questions or a grandchild who's asking questions, then make sure that you are in that class on the 27th of this month. So again, it's very, very important. Let's take a minute again and pray. I'll make this really quick. God, we just thank you again for the opportunity to, to be in your house. God, to hear from your word. God, to experience uh, an amazing amount of or amazing time of worship like what we just did. And God, we just ask that, there, that you would remove all of the distractions, that you would allow us to kind of really quiet ourselves and our spirit and our heart and our mind. And God, hear what you have to say as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me say, as I've talked to you uh, about this series, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting to me to talk to people while we're in the midst of a series. And one of the things that I've heard as I've talked to you during this series the thing that I've constantly heard is that, you know, it, it's different each week, but this series has actually, with many of you, it's struck a nerve with you. Week in and week out, we've been going through the, the book of Proverbs, and you've been able to come and you've been able to hear or watch or listen online, and you've been able to take away uh, a nugget of wisdom that we have talked about. And some of you have actually told me, I had never heard that, or I never heard that in the way that you taught it, Randy, but I've taken that nugget of wisdom, and I have taken it and successfully applied it to my life. And again, the reason why I think you've been able to relate to this series is simply because you're just like me. And all of us in this room, all those watching online, we have areas of our lives that we know there's an area here that needs improvement. Things need to improve. They need to change. You could have something going on in your finances. You could have something in your relationships. You could have something on your job. Let me tell you, you could have any area of your life, but when it comes to that area, you simply can look at that area and you say, you know what, things in my life simply are not what they should be. So you've been focusing on the wisdom that we've been looking at, that wisdom that is found in the book of Proverbs, trying to listen and to see if there's something from that that will help you improve your life. You know, it was uh, interesting because immediately when we cracked open the book of Proverbs, we discovered this, this principle. And again, it's not just in the first chapter of Proverbs. It's actually a principle that really kind of weaves itself all throughout all 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. And again, I extracted or gave this principle a name, and here's what I called it. I simply called it the principle of the path because the, the writer in Proverbs basically has exposed us and told us that we all have a choice. When it comes to life, every person in here has a choice. 
we can choose the path of wisdom, and that's the path that leads to life, or we can choose the path of foolishness, and the path of foolishness leads to death. And, and the writer of Proverbs has kind of shown us, or has maybe the better word to use is personified, that wisdom is a, a, a lady who's making herself known. That, that lady wisdom is, is, a, is a lady who stands at the prominent places in life, and she's urging you, just like she's urging me, she's urging us wisdom to follow her. But then there is the other path, the path of foolishness. And we talked about that over and over because the path of foolishness is the path of sin. And over the last few weeks, we've seen that the path of foolishness is the very path that leads to death. And again, that path of foolishness is marked by sin. And when it comes to our lives, it's simply the path that all of us in this room should steer away from. Now, when the writer of Proverbs refers to that second path, we have the path of wisdom and we have the path of foolishness. But when the writer of Proverbs refers to the path of foolishness, he also uses that same reference. He uses that same analogy of a woman. Look at what he says when he makes a reference to the path of foolishness in Proverbs 5, verse 3. He says, The lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. Her soft words are oh so smooth. See, that sounds good. But it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth, a pain in your gut, a wound in your heart. Again, here's the thing. When you read the very first part of the, of the verse that you see, or the verses that you see behind me, the lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. Her soft words are oh so smooth. Here's the thing I want you to understand. The very first part of that says, oh man, this, this is going to be good. This, this, this is good. But it doesn't take long that we read a little further to find out that the outcome is far different than what we initially started to read in those two verses. Because that's the way that sin works. That's the enticement of sin. Sin looks good, it tastes good, it feels good, and it seems to be trying to communicate to us that there's a better life if you follow that path. And that path, as we've discovered, is the path of foolishness. But here's the thing that we've discovered also. That isn't the truth. Listen to me this morning. Sin and the path of foolishness never deliver. But it's wisdom. And it's the path of wisdom that offers us the opportunity to get the most out of the lives that we've been given. And that's the reason why we've taken the time to look at the book of Proverbs. We've searched through Proverbs because we believe that there's wisdom that is found in the book of Proverbs and that wisdom, listen to what it's going to help you do, like, it me, like it's going to help me, it's going to help you choose the right path. And the writer of Proverbs is very clear in making the distinction between those two paths, the path of life, the path of wisdom, and the path of foolishness, the path of death. And the difference in those two paths 
is very distinct. The wisdom found in Proverbs gives us amazing insight in how we can make our lives better in so many different areas. So today we're going to look at another area that Proverbs speaks about. And the reason we're looking at this area this morning is simply because of something that for me was instigated by something that I had seen online. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, and most of you already know this, I pretty much avoid a lot of the news. Uh, on. I'm a YouTube television person. Well, I've got so many of those things I don't even know. You know, Paramount, YouTube, I mean, I've got them all. So anyway, but uh, I, I don't typically watch it because I don't really know what to believe anymore. But I was, I was scrounging around sometime back on, online, and I ran across a poll, and the poll was actually on CNN.com, which I don't normally look at for, I'm not a Fox person, I'm not a CNN person, I, I'm, I, just, I, I just, I mean, but I just happened to be looking there. And I saw a poll, and the poll started with a question, and the question was, very simply, four words, what concerns you most? That was the poll. And, and we, we all know about a poll because we, we sit down behind a computer, and, 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 and you just, you know, you can give your answer about different things that they might ask you, but it was a four-word question, what concerns you most? And again, in this day and time, there are lots of things to be concerned about. There are lots of things that concern people all around the world. So it, it was really interesting for me to look at what people were saying. It's a pretty simple question. But I'm going to tell you, the answers that they gave to that four-word question may really surprise you. Here's what they had to say. 20% of the people who were taking the poll or who had taken the poll said it was the state of the world. I mean, again, you look at what's going on in our world right now where we're, we've got wars, rumors of wars, pandemics, plagues. I mean, we got all, but again, 20% of the people taking the poll said it was th their concern was the world. That's what concerned them the most. 10% of the people who took the poll said it was their family. They were most concerned about their family, 10% of the people. 8% of the people who took the poll said it was their health that concerned them the most. But then came the kicker. 52% of the people who took the poll on CNN.com, 52%, that's more than half, said the thing that concerned them the most was money. Think about that. Over half the people were concerned about money. Now, here's the thing. Again, I, I can already hear those seat cushions <laughs> because people don't want to hear about money. But here's the thing. Let me, let me, let me, let me just say this. Let me, let me preach on this. Whether you're concerned about money or not, you're going to land on one side of that coin or the other. Again, you're going to land on one side of the coin or the other. The truth is that most of us in this building today and those watching online are just like those 52% of the people who took that poll. All of us, in some way, if we're honest, are concerned about money. 
in some way. I mean, think about it. People who lack money are worrying about how they can get some more money because they want to have enough money to be able to take care of their needs. But there are people who have an abundance of money. And those people who have an abundance of money are worrying about how they can keep the money they have and then end up getting some more. So today what I want to do is to look at the wisdom of Proverbs and see if we can get some direction and help when it comes to dealing with our money and our finances. And here's the thing I already know. I've kind of already alluded to it. I know the subject of money in the church is a very touchy subject. And I also know that, uh, listen, I can look at you and see some of you are saying, I didn't come to church to hear somebody talk about money. And you know what? I get it. But, But here's the thing. If your idea of coming to church and me not talking about something that the Bible talks about, if that's your line of thinking, that's going to be like you leaving here today and going to Kroger. And did you know it's Kroger, not Kroger's? It's Kroger. And loading up your basket full of groceries and pushing it to the checkout and looking at the person and saying, I don't want to hear anything about money. That's the same line of thinking. Money needs to be talked about in the church simply because the Bible has a lot to say about money. The Bible talks about money. But here's the thing I'm going to go. I'm going to do an end around today. I'm going to let you in on something that you may not know about. The Bible talks about money, but the Bible talks about money in a way that actually may surprise you. Because the Bible, listen to me this morning. Here's where I'm going to get you because you probably don't know this. The Bible has more to say about the management of your money than it does about you giving your money. The Bible actually speaks, listen to what I'm saying, more about the management of our money than it does about giving of money. And I think you're probably going to see exactly why in just a few moments. So as we worked on this series, we we sat down and we looked at at wisdom, and we looked at the wisdom that is found in Proverbs, and and actually what I did was I divided it into three categories. And, And those three categories this morning are really driving me to ask three questions when it comes to how you and I are going to handle our money, our wealth. And these three questions will help you understand the nature or the state of your personal relationship that you have with money. Now, today, I'm going to help you understand the nature of your relationship with your money. And I'm going to do it by asking questions. And and the first of these questions is going to be about your view of money. How do you see money? So let, let, me, let me give you the first question, and again, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And if you didn't bring something to write with and you have your camera and you want to keep notes and take notes, you can always just take a picture. Here's the first question. It's going to surprise you. Do you see your money as a tool to bless other people? Again, that's probably not what you thought I was going to say, but th- think about the question. Do you see your money as a tool or a means to bless other people. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. 
Proverbs 14, 31. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Look at the next verse, Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will be refreshed. Now, now, now listen to me this morning. Think about right now, think your life and your life only. Think about the current view that you have of money. And when you think of the subject of money or finances, I'm going to tell you, it goes without saying that the, the, the view that you have of handling your money, listen, good or bad, I get a lot more freedom in this service because my mama ain't in here. <laughs> but the view that you have of money and how you handle money, whether it's good or bad, is probably going to be a view that you personally adopted from your parents. You probably, good or bad, handle money based on the way that you saw your parents handle money. And, and again, here's the thing. That, that can be really, really important. But listen to me also, it can be really, really bad. So today I want to show you the importance and the thing I'm going to show you the importance of is a parent's view of money. And I'm going to show you a parent's view of money from the Scripture. And the Scripture that we're going to look at, not right now, but in just a moment, is actually found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to show you the importance of a way a parent looks at money and how it can impact their children and the next generation. But before I show you that and read that, let me give you the context. The person that we're looking at is David, king of Israel David, killer of Goliath David, battle man David. David is the guy we're looking at. And at this point, David has grown up. He's the king of Israel. He's reached a point in his life where, like some of you, he's got everything that he could want. He's defeated all of his enemies. He's living in a giant palace. And everything in his life is going right for him. And then one day, because he has everything and everything is going right, he says, you know what? I made a decision. I I'm going to do something. I'm going to take everything that's been given to me and, and I'm going to just invest it. I'm, I'm going to do something that's going to make a difference. And David makes the decision that he's going to build a temple for his God. I mean, how amazing. He has the resources. He has the ability. He's going to build a temple for his God. But instead of building the temple, God tells him, no, no, David, you're not going to do that. God tells David that his son, Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, or most of the writer of Proverbs, but David's son, Solomon, he's the one who's going to build the temple. So guess what happens? Instead of getting mad, listen, 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 listen. Instead of getting mad that God's not letting him do something that he wanted to do, 
David adopts a mindset. And his mindset is basically, well, I wanted to build the temple for God, but God doesn't want me to build it. He wants my son to build it. So if my son's going to build it, if I can't build it, then at least I can help prepare the path for my son when he wants to build the temple in the future. So guess what David does? David sets aside a ton of money. Not only that, he hires an architect. And people start the process of giving towards that temple that's going to be built somewhere down in the future. Now, here's the the thing that's cool about this story. And again, I love Old Testament stories. They're so rich and so fun to speak about. But it's in the middle of all this that, that we have going on, what I've set up and given you the context. It's in the middle of all this that David prays a prayer. And luckily for us, that, that prayer is actually recorded. And the prayer allows us to see exactly how David looked at, viewed his money. It, also, it allows us to see how David viewed his wealth. Look at what it says in First Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and, now look at what he says, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. What is David saying? David is saying, God, we recognize that this is all about you. Nothing is about me, God. Everything is about you. That's what David is saying in part of the, in the, part of the prayer that we just read. He's, he's just acknowledging, God, this is all yours. It's all about you. This is not about me. Nothing is about me. But, but let's, let's go on. Look at what he says. He says, wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. And I really like what David says here because it cuts directly against something that I was taught growing up in the Baptist church. That's where I grew up in the Baptist church. And I was basically taught, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I was taught that you give the church 10% and you live on 90%. But in what David has told us so far, or what he's prayed so far, and what we've read, he's kind of helping us see that that really isn't what the Bible teaches. Even though that's what I was taught, live on 90% and give 10%. But that really isn't what the Bible teaches. Let's go on. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Again, this is David's prayer. But who am I and who are my people that we should give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. 
We are only here for a moment, visitors and strangers in this land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs. Look, 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 look. It all belongs to you. And again, we read David's prayer and we see the goal. You know what the goal of your life is? It's the same as the goal of my life. The goal of our life is to honor God. To honor God with our wealth. To honor God with, with all of our wealth. To honor God with everything that we have. Listen to me this morning. Not just a percentage. Look at, look at Proverbs 3 verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. We, we don't honor God with just a portion but the Bible tells us we honor God with everything. So, so the first question that we looked at is, is really leading us to the second question that we need to answer. And I'm going to put that question behind me just now. Here's the second question. Do we find our identity in our money? Do we find our identity in our wealth? I think there's a great verse found in Proverbs 10 that addresses our relationship with money. L listen to what it says, Proverbs 10, verse 7. It says, some who are poor pretend to be rich. Anybody know anybody like that? Some who are poor pretend to be rich, but others who are rich pretend to be poor. I know both ends of that spectrum. And the reason the writer of Proverbs is talking about this is simply because he's directly confronting the relationships that you and I have with money. The first person doesn't have any money but pretends he has money. The first person pretends to have money when he really doesn't. And if we're the person who pretends to have money that we really don't, then chances are we're pushing ourselves to the limit to buy things that we can't afford to impress people that we really don't even like. And if we're the person that does that, we see that the Bible gives wisdom that most Christians avoid because the wisdom actually speaks a lot about how foolish it is for you and I to be in debt. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 7. It says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Did you hear what that says? The borrower is the slave to the lender. And let me just tell you this morning, that's a fact. If you owe money to somebody else, to the bank, to the credit union, to the credit card company, you are a slave to the lender. It's not splitting hairs. It's not a moral issue. Listen to me this morning. It's just a fact. 
Because here's the thing, if you, just like me, if you owe money, then your lender is going to end up having a say in every decision that you're going to make. But the verse tells us that the person who is truly practicing good biblical wisdom, that's the person who tries to avoid the debt and the fine print that's associated with that debt. And Solomon is giving us great advice when it comes to his wisdom. Because what Solomon is saying is this. He's saying, hey, look, there are things worth, worse in life than being in debt. I mean, than being broke, than being in debt. And one of the things that's worse is being in bondage by all the debt. I mean, it, 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 it's bad not to have money, but it's even worse to be in debt. And again, if you look at many of the spending habits that you and I have, listen to this, I want you to think about this. If you look at many of the spending habits that you and I have, the reason we have those spending habits, those spending habits oftentimes come down to what I call control issues. At the roots of our spending habits, you're going to find issues with control. We've become a society and a culture who sees something now and we think we have to have it now. We see something and we want it now. But let me just tell you, let me go back because I'm going to date myself just a little bit. That always hasn't been the case or that hasn't always been the case. I'm very familiar with something called layaway. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I got my first experience with layaway. Let's see if I can really date some of you with me. At Zayers on Murfreesboro Road. Does anybody remember Zayers on Murfreesboro Road in Nashville? Right next to the airport, that, that house that looks like the... You know, the, the Hermitage, I think it's a restaurant now. But that's where I got my first exposure to a layaway because my mother told me, if you want that, you can spend your allowance on it. And I wanted it. So what did I do? I went, took what I wanted, and I took it to the back of the store, and I put down some money, and they took my personal information, and they gave me a card, and I went back periodically, and I made payments on it. Now, for those who are millennials and younger who don't know about a layaway, that's the way it worked. You took the item to the back of the store, and there was a counter there, and you gave it to them, and you said, I want to put down $10 on this, and they wrote your information down. They took the item, they put it on the shelf, and they gave you a card, and every time you came back, they initialed it or stamped it, and you paid on it. And eventually, you got it paid off. Now, here's the difference. You know what happened when you paid it off? They gave you that item back, and that item was brand new. And some of you right now are making payments on items that you bought a long time ago, and you don't even know where the item is. 
but you still owe for it. That's the way it is now. When you finish paying for the item, you don't know where the dang thing is because you're not practicing self-control. You think you see something and you have to have it now. And Proverbs has something to say about self-control in chapter 25, verse 28. Here's what it says. Look at the screen behind me. A person without self-control is like a city with a broken down wall. So what that is saying is this. When you don't exercise self-control with your wealth, with your finances, with your money, you essentially give over control of your life to your enemy. By not exercising control, you give up control and you allow your defenses to be penetrated. And when your defenses are penetrated, what do you become? You become a slave to a new car, to the furniture, to a new outfit. So here's the question. If you know you're going to become a slave, then why would any of us do that? I'll tell you why. Because people have convinced us that that's the way it should be done. That's the way we should live our lives. Let me give you something to think about this morning, and I'm going to put it on the screen behind me so that you understand this. When you are enslaved, it affects your ability, not your willingness to give. When you're enslaved, it, affect, it affects your ability. It doesn't affect your heart to give. See, here's the thing. You feel like you want to be generous to the church or you want to be generous to another cause like Joseph's Storehouse or Compassionate Hands or, or whoever, but you can't be generous to the church or to that other organization simply because your email and your phone is being worn out by the credit card company. You truly can't give to the people who have a need because you spent your money on things that you didn't need. And that brings me to the third and final question. Here's the third and final question. Do you find safety in your money? Do, do you know what rivals Christ for the affection of our hearts? Proverbs tells us. Proverbs tells us that if there is anything that will rival, it's money. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Now, I'm going to leave that up there on the screen. Because I want you to see in those two verses, the writer of Proverbs is basically telling us, talking about two beliefs. There's that one heart that's, that's trusting God. 
Their safety is found in God. They're, they're trusting God. They're resting in God. But then there's the other person. And their safety and their rest is found in their money. They find their security in their money. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say because many of you in this auditorium know this. And it's not said to be arrogant or promoting anything. It's actually very humbling for me to say this. I have made and lost more money than most of you will ever have. I have lost a ton of money. And I've made a lot of money. And just like you, the last two years for me have been very difficult. But listen to me this morning. I want you to hear me. At my house, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to do the right things. And we give. And we save. And we do a very small amount of investing. And I'm at the point in my life right now where I probably have less than I have ever had. And regardless of the fact that I have less than I have ever had, here's the thing I want you to hear from my lips to your ears. I still know about spiritual and money issues. And knowing about spiritual and money issues, listen to what I'm saying. I'm being totally honest with you this morning. I still struggle with finding security in my money. I still struggle with it. I still struggle with getting on those banking apps and seeing how much money I have there. I still struggle with finding my security in the money that I have. Because sometimes my heart just seems to find safety in that money that I have in the bank accounts. But then I look at Proverbs 10, verse 3, and I see what it says. Look at what Proverbs 10, verse 3 says. The Lord will not let the godly go hungry. And when I reach the end of my day, I have to realize, listen, that if I am allowing money to dominate my life, it's not a money issue. It's a trust issue. I really don't have money. If money is dominating everything that I do, I really don't have money issues. What Proverbs 10 verse 3 tells me is I have trust issues. It's all about trust. To truly put the wisdom of Proverbs to work in your life when it comes to your money, you know what it probably means? It means that all of you, all of you watching online, listening online, it probably means that all of us in this room, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we need to make changes. We're going to have to go before God, a loving God. And we're going to have to declare that we want to do everything that we can to honor Him. We may, we, we may have to declare to him, God, I, I want to use my resources. God, I want to use my finances, and I'm going to do that, God, to bless others. 
Because, God, I want to honor you with everything that I have. God, I want to be like David, like Randy talked about. I want to do it not just for me, but I want to do it for the next generation. And I want to do it right here at this place called Crossroads. But to truly do what you have declared before God, it means that you're going to have to make changes in your life. And you know what? You can't wait to make those changes. Those changes are changes that need to be made starting right now. And it may mean that you need to save more and give more and spend less. Or you may have to declare before God, God, we're going to work hard. God, we're going to work hard based on what we've heard today as it relates to getting out of the situation that we find ourselves in with our finances. Because we're tired of living at the place where we find ourselves. We're tired because we realize right now that we're a slave. And we don't want to be a slave anymore. And God, we're not going to live that way. We're not going to live as a slave. Because we don't want to be in a position where we can't give what we want to give. Because we're still paying off for the stuff that we bought that we didn't need. And we realize that we made a mistake. Because we put our identity in stuff. And we're not going to follow the path of foolishness when it comes to our money anymore. But finally, you may have to say, God, I'm going to find my safety in you. God, I'm going to find my safety in you and you alone. No longer am I going to look to money for safety or security. Because, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust you alone. I'm no longer going to find my safety in the things that you have blessed me with. See, it's this wisdom of Proverbs. It's the wisdom of Solomon. It's taking that wisdom and applying it to our lives that will allow us to be all that God wants us to be. And let me tell you, I don't think there's any area of your life just like my life that's more important than when it comes to the topic of money. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, we realize that it's a difficult subject. But God, we've, we've looked at it this morning from a different angle. That basically, you're teaching us, it's, yes, it's about giving, but it's more about managing. It's about trust. It's about recognizing who you are as the author and the finisher of our faith, as the giver of all things. Who are we to give you anything, God, that you haven't already given to us? 
Today, may we put our trust in you, knowing that you will not let the godly go hungry. That it's in you, God. It's in you and you alone. God, open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts to these teachings. And God, don't allow them just to penetrate our ears, but allow them to take root in our lives so that they change us. Allowing us to change people around us by being the people that you called us to be. God, we love you and we thank you for this time of worship as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand together?